you know, I, I'm very much a proponent of like move fast and then iterate because mm-hmm. your speed of execution as a small engineering team is your superpower. If you can't have enough, you know, bites at the apple, enough swings, you know, you're just not going to be successful. So your ability yeah. to like throw out a crappy product at first is great. And I think our team record was uh, 12 hours of engineering start to finish to launch a payment integration on top what? of that. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Plugin.fm podcast brought to you by Freemius. In each episode, we sit down with influential makers, bootstrappers, and entrepreneurs to explore the strategies and practices that have helped them succeed in their business journeys. Our goal is to give you actionable tips and tactics so you can apply them to your own business and product success. I'm Patrick Rolland, and today I have the pleasure of hosting Becca Rice, the former head of product at Skyverge, a leading vendor on WooCommerce. Now, Becca's path to product development has been winding. She started out as a certified chemist who taught high school level chemistry. After teaching, she worked across every part of software development from support and documentation to engineering and is now a senior director for product management at GoDaddy. She is also a seasoned traveler who has traversed the U.S. with nothing but two suitcases, although these days she's more often camped on a playmat with her two small children. Adventures aside, Becca loves to figure out how things work, a trait that surely played a role in her taking up product development. On to the topic of this episode. As the WordPress market matures, we are witnessing sub-ecosystems form and evolve around mega-popular plugins like WooCommerce and Elementor. These market leaders have millions of active installs, offering lucrative opportunities for makers to build add-on businesses and extend these solutions. But... Many overlook the fact that extending these juggernauts generates double dependency, which come with many benefits, but also more risks. We invited Becca to share her story and learnings building Skyverge, a mega-successful e-commerce business on top of WooCommerce and Shopify, and that business was also acquired by GoDaddy a few years later. Becca, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, uh, that was quite an introduction, Um, so I appreciate it. I'm done. I have nothing left to say. Excellent. All right. We'll call it now. Um, yes, we like to, to make sure we build up our guests with a proper introduction. So, <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. So I think the first thing that we just want to get into is how did you get into you know e- software and product development? Yeah. So I was teaching um, high school chemistry, as you said, um, when I started using WordPress. So Mm -hmm. I used WordPress to manage my classroom website and my website for the sports I was coaching um, because at that time, and this makes me feel old to say at that time, but at that time, learning management software wasn't great. So like you might've had access to Blackboard as a teacher, but it could be kind of cumbersome to manage. And you didn't really have a lot of flexibility in how you set up like the online part of your website. Whereas I wanted like, you know, extra resources or videos or things that were just, um, a little more interactive for my students, right? Mm-hmm. So I started to use WordPress then and um, kind of got proficient as a user. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, um, my husband had been working on an e-commerce site for a small pharmaceutical company and launching their direct consumer sales. And in his research, you know, he went through a lot of different options at that time, like Shopify or Spree Commerce and, and a bunch of other options mm-hmm. and found that he felt like WooCommerce was going to be the best bet for them with what they wanted to do and how they wanted Mm -hmm. to use the site and um, how they wanted to be able to market to their customers. So he kind of was going in his direction doing that and with a partner sort of started building e-commerce solutions. I was still teaching. And at some point they were like, hey, um, we need help (laughs) over here teaching people how to use these plugins. You know how to use WordPress. 
you know, why don't you start writing documentation and, and helping people use the software? So that kind of got me out of my teaching bubble and into the software bubble. And, uh, you know, the rest is, is sort of history from there. Uh-huh. Was that um like, so was that like, I don't want to say a full-time job, but did you have to like stop teaching to start doing plugin documentation or was there like an overlap of a, of a few years or? <sighs> yeah, not a few years, but like months for sure. Months. So I was, I was doing it um, just, you know, part-time, like sometimes nights, weekends, whatever. I was also coaching varsity sports too, which is also kind of like a second job. And it got to a point where it was like, well, this is, this is way too much. You know, I can't do this. I can't work all the time. And, um, you know, I'm sure you know this from your experience in WooCommerce, Patrick, but as soon as you start writing documentation, you can help answer support questions. And as soon as you're answering support questions, you know, you're kind of starting to delve into product management and, and like, hey, here's how we need to evolve the product, right? So at that point, I really started to evolve into multiple roles. And um, it just made sense then to say, hey, let's leave one full-time job behind and, and start and pick up this new one. Got it. So you were part of the Skyverge founding team. Did mm-hmm. you choose to build on top of WooCommerce or was it more of a happy accident? Uh, I think at that time, it was just right place, right time. So mm-hmm. the other two partners in Skyverge, Max and Justin, uh, were working together um, as I came on to help with documentation. And at that point, Justin had worked with Magento, Gigashop, and WooCommerce when it was launched. And um, Max got into it from the user perspective, using WooCommerce to launch their own direct-to-consumer website. So Woo sort of became a natural fit for them, um, just having used it and seeing, wow, this is really flexible and we know WordPress and, you know, you can figure it out pretty easily. Um, so I think it was it was intentional with Woo, just knowing what users needed and knowing what they needed, feeling like, hey, we mm-hmm. could build on top of this. I think um, Max actually got into it initially because he needed a Kissmetrics integration for their website. So uh-huh. he built one and then AD uh, had reached out to him and was like, hey, maybe you should sell this instead of putting it on WordPress.org. And I think he got like, two sales the first month and was like, wow, this is 50 bucks. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. So we all kind of fell into it from there. Oh, very cool. I, I do feel like a lot of WordPress developers made something for a client and then mm-hmm. they, they, then they abstracted it and made it work for anyone. And that just seems to be like the best way to get, maybe not the best, but the, a direct a very popular path, way, <laughs> a very popular. And it's a direct path from doing client work to doing product work is just, Absolutely. you build this thing, you realize, Oh, lots of people need this thing. And then you're able to sell it. And it just seems and we like we did, we did so much of it. Yeah. yeah. We did that early on. So Justin initially did client work for Max. Um, like one of the first things they work together is still the like cart notices extension for WooCommerce uh-huh. today, right? Just being able to do like timely, just in time recommendations. To yeah. Um, and, and I think, God, there must've been at least eight different Skyverge plugins that started out as a client project that Got evolved it. into something on the marketplace. Got it. So let me just ask you then, uh, when was the first time that you built something for WooCommerce with, which had no interaction with your clients? Like how far mm-hmm. into this journey were you before you just knew that the demand from WooCommerce was big enough that you decided to do it anyways? It was pretty early on. It was probably one of the payment integrations, I'd imagine. Uh-huh. Um, just because early on, it was like, hey, everyone's going to take payments on their website. And they might not always use different functionality extensions, but everybody's going to need payments. So I think, um, you know, I don't remember exactly which plugin it would have been, but it was very likely a payment gateway. But we, we came into it a few ra- a few different ways, right? One was... Things that clients bring to you that you see an abstract use case for. The second was like net new things like you've mentioned, 
which is, you know, okay, what's a need that people are going to have? Let me build this net new. And then the third were things like um, that we actually acquired from other developers. So we did a lot of buying extensions that people built early on, or like at that point you would submit an idea card to be able to get the vendor, you know, rights in the marketplace. And we would buy those cards from people too. Yeah. Yeah. I, def- I definitely want to get into that if we have time at the end. I- I'm yeah. super interested in, in buying other people's uh, extensions. Yep. But, um, uh, but um, let, let's, so let's talk about product development. Um, what, you know, if you're a software engineer and you want to build not just on top of WordPress, but on top of another plugin like a WooCommerce, what technical considerations or complexities do you need to be aware of? Yeah, it's very different, right? You have kind of, like you said earlier, that double set of dependencies where you have to know WordPress deeply and you have to keep up with the WordPress core development changes. But then you also have to do that with, you know, WooCommerce, which is essentially the platform you're building on and WordPress is their dependency, right? So you have to, you have to know both deeply. And I'd say that, you know, if, if I were a developer today looking to get into that, Mm -hmm. um, I would first accept that you're going to have a lot of technical investment and learning multiple different stacks like that, Mm -hmm. that you're going to have to be aware of. Um, but then also, um, understanding that with something like WordPress and WooCommerce, where it's open source in particular, uh, you don't just have to know your dependencies. You have to know that the interoperability of that ecosystem is a key reason people care about it. And so when we got into it, our dependencies aren't always just WordPress and WooCommerce, but it's every other extension that merchants want to run on their website alongside of ours. And the expectation Mm -hmm. that those will play nicely together. And in many cases, actually work cohesively together. So I'd say that's one of the biggest technical considerations is are you willing to commit to that level of interoperability? Got it. And and so so let me just put this into into uh, layman speak here. You want to make sure that your plugin works with every other plugin in that ecosystem. So if you make a to a reasonable plugin, extent, yeah, right, uh, or as as much as possible, right? It's like the cart notices should also work with some other just in time system, and your Kiss Metrics integration should work with I don't know Google Analytics or some other analytics thing where the data goes back and forth easily. Yeah, I think there's certainly limits to it because, you know, the beauty of WordPress is there's like an infinite number of plugins. Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. not always reasonable to do everything. But Mm -hmm. um, I think that was our biggest commitment was like when we built WooCommerce memberships, it's got to work with WooCommerce subscriptions and every other payment gateway and the other plugins that do pricing, like name your price or dynamic pricing, right? Um, When we built um, a great example of that was we built a PDF product vouchers plugin, Mm -hmm. which is kind of like a vouchers and gift certificates plugin. And that had to work with name your price because people Mm -hmm. often want to sell a $100, $200 certificate or write in whatever price you want for the certificate, right? Right. So that ability to know the um, landscape of the ecosystem and how you can plug into the ecosystem rather than just acting like you're on your own island, I think was one of the things that was sort of important to our success, that knowing that you're you're part of a bigger thing that you need to tap into. Yeah. What, what about managing like WooCommerce itself? Like, you know, cause I, I, there's a lot of WordPress plugins that don't get updates. WooCommerce is always updating all the time with new features and bugs and updating minimum PHP versions, all that stuff. And that's, and that's different than WordPress, right? So like WooCommerce might have totally different PHP minimum requirements than WordPress does. So what about managing two different dependencies that way? Yeah. It's much better now than it used to be, right? In the early days of WooCommerce 1.6 to 2.0 or 2.0 to 2.1 or, you know, 2.6 to 3.0. These were 
just significant and very difficult dependencies to manage. Um, so part of that is kind of understanding where those same boundaries are on what you're going to support. Um, but I would say with WooCommerce, you know, their speed of development has actually been a good thing because they can't take the um, approach toward breaking changes that they may have in the mm-hmm. past, right? Where it's like, if you're going to have a fast development cycle, you can't expect developers to be just constantly responding to what you do with their products or their client work. So in a sense, um, it actually made our jobs a lot easier, right? We had to monitor it. Um, we've also, as, as an entire ecosystem, invested a lot more in automated testing over time, which helps a mm. lot. So like yeah. our test suite will often catch things for us before we do any manual testing, right? Right. So I'd say that um, these days, rather than necessarily having to have a lot of active like user testing and like, you know, really, really deep engagement with the core ecosystem, we can more so monitor it um, and then rely on automated testing and, and the stuff that's shared publicly to understand like, okay, how are we going to make sure that we remain compatible with this, this ecosystem? So it's still yeah. conscious and it's still intentional. Yeah. On our part, but um, just these days, as the maturity of software development and WordPress um, has increased, it's a lot easier. Yeah, I'm just going to keep asking some some little side questions here. So I so I so WooCommerce and many WordPress plugins are open source, and and with especially WooCommerce has added some big features. I, uh, the REST API, I think I think Skyverge was heavily involved with the REST API, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, and. Really cool. It's not just, you know, minimum versions and the function names are changing, but there's also the ability to like build infrastructure that your plugins might need uh, or some future plugin may need. How, how much, here's the weird way of thinking about this. How much time do you spend working, contributing to the open, the, the, the foundation, the platform so that you can, you know, the platform continues to grow and, or do you just sort of, you know, part, part of me says, well, I'll be hands off. I'll let them grow in whatever way they want to grow. And I'm just going to manage my little PayPal gateway over here. How do you think about contributing and growing and advocating for a platform to grow in the direction you want it to grow? Yeah. Early on, you know, obviously when it was a more immature platform, very heavily, right? Like mm-hmm. you'd mentioned the REST API, you know, which our team did build like the V1 REST API, yeah. for example, and, and heavily contributed to a couple other versions. And um, I think the kind of initial version of that was about, it was somewhere between 60 to 80 hours of engineering time, okay, which is like a very substantial contribution for a company of our size yep. at that time, right? Yep. So when it was early on and and you could more actively contribute to the direction of the platform, um, yeah, we invested a lot of time into yeah. that, like, you know, REST API, webhooks, uh, the unit testing infrastructure. Like there were a lot of things there that we knew we needed out of the platform and mm-hmm. that if we needed it, other developers would need that. And so those are things we kind of contributed really heavily over time as the product gets more mature. And also, you know, I think the commercial interests around it have changed substantially mm-hmm. too, right? Um, it's a little bit harder to understand the roadmap and where it's going. And I think that there's been some really cool recent changes now with mm-hmm. like WooCommerce themselves sharing that um, out a little bit more and also developers just starting to get a better understanding of how to contribute. Yeah. Like, for example, we've built a lot around product review management, which was sort of immature for a while. Um, but then, uh, you know, a few major versions back, we contributed an enhanced review system to WooCommerce core to like bring product reviews more as a first class citizen and just instead of like pseudo comments. Right. Yes. And so like, um, at this point we still look for those opportunities where like, there's something that makes sense for the entire ecosystem. Mm. Um, and we try to work a little bit more closely with WooCommerce on those, but I'd say that, uh, as a developer, the opportunities are a little bit less 
I think now yeah. just because of the maturity of Woo. But if I were looking at a new ecosystem, it would be a big part of my strategy because you can help drive those things that give you foundations to drive your products forward, but then you're not solely on the hook to maintain, right? We couldn't yeah. maintain our own REST API plugin for WooCommerce and evolve it as quickly once the rest of the community got their hands on it. Yeah. Yeah, certainly when a platform is early, it is nascent. It's the yep. best time. You have, you have the most agency to, to change things for the, for the better um, and, and shape things. And there's also, there's less... Uh, you know, WooCommerce is much bigger now, right? There's so many people involved, whereas it used to be a little bit smaller. But it, it's it's really cool and powerful that you can contribute to a platform and grow it and like, you know, add a REST API for every developer, but also it'll help you build whatever your next product is. I think it's I think it's really cool that there's that agency. And it, so part of me th- says 60, 80 hours is certainly a lot. That's two, two, two full working weeks for a developer. And of course, there's emails and other stuff that has to get done. But like for two weeks... Of like yeah, one of like you know a principal founding developer, right? Yeah, it's a lot oh, of time for a senior engineer. It's it's a yeah. lot of time, but it, but it's also like we're not talking six months. Um, mm-hmm. It is it is um it feels like that's what I would spend on a pro bono project back when I worked yeah. in my agency days. It would be like here's a two week project. This is how we this is how we contribute to the WordPress ecosystem. It helps everyone and it helps our business. So it, yeah, well, a, at that point, it was also a little bit of like cowboy coding too, right? It was a read-only <laughs> API with no test coverage. So, you know, it's come a long way since then. But really um, nice. I think one of the things that that might be hard for people to think about too is that um, when we thought about those contributions, some people would feel like, well, that's kind of against like my commercial interests, mm-hmm. right? Like why would I contribute this for other people uh-huh. when like I could build this as my own product or my own thing? And I would say that um, just to kind of tap into that a little more, the two things that we found important were number one, um, it elevates your status in the ecosystem to where like you can help contribute and drive the project to where you see it needing to go if you're mm-hmm. if you're dependent on that project. And mm-hmm. we knew that if, you're, if we were going to build WooCommerce extensions, the success of that ecosystem was inherently linked to our success and we needed to help drive it forward. Mm-hmm. But the second was, you know, we looked at it from a rising tide lifts all ships mentality that if if I can grow my piece of the WooCommerce ecosystem, that's one way I can grow my business. But if I can grow the WooCommerce ecosystem overall, I'm going to make a lot more money long term. And yeah. so I'd say that if you are a developer who's looking at that mindset of, you know, let's say I'm building on top of um, uh, LearnDash or Lyft or, or, or Elementor or one of these ecosystems that has these add-ons and extensions, um, growing the entire ecosystem is going to benefit your business and is a commercially great reason to go after that. Yeah. Yeah, that is uh, that is counterintuitive. I totally get how, well, I, it goes against my immediate commercial interests, but long-term, the platform makes you more money than one extra little... Yeah, the growth of the platform is. is going to make more money for you in yeah. the long-term than any any marginal gains in you know market share that you could have. Yeah. Okay. So that so this is a perfect segue. So how do you promote a business that's built on top of another business is maybe a more interesting way of asking it. Yeah, the biggest benefit is captive audience, right? So there's there's a lot going for you in that if I build on WooCommerce, I'm already tapping into a number of people who have decided WooCommerce is the solution for me. I want to use WooCommerce. And everyone else in this ecosystem has essentially helped me to educate my customer around that solution being important to them, right? So you kind of get to ride a wave in a sense that you have some of the marketing done for you just by tapping into an existing space versus like creating demand from nothing. Right. So there's already tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people using WooCommerce. They will obviously go to WooCommerce.com 
and find whatever your you know your 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 extensions solve in the in the directory and then buy them and install them. Yeah, and there's certainly the marketplace side of that from from the marketing perspective too, but I mean just in general when you decide to tap into an existing ecosystem, right? Like let's say, you know, it's WooCommerce plugins or Shopify apps or whatever it is that you're building, right? Elementor add-ons. You already have an audience that's aware of um, and educated on a specific problem and looking for solutions. And so you're getting them in a buying mindset, yeah. which is is really helpful for you because you have to do a lot less work on the marketing front. Yeah. Yeah. You're, it, uh, I'm doing a lot of SEO research and, and work right now. And basically, I, I, I think when you do do marketing, you, the people are so close to already buying. You just need to say, we offer this thing. It has these four features. It integrates with a product it you already use. It solves your problem. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing that's enough of a sales pitch that'll convert a lot of people already because they're so far down the buying journey already. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you look at it too, then like everyone who writes, you know, content about the WooCommerce ecosystem or enters this ecosystem and solves different problems, right? All of that content is just enhancing the ecosystem. And again, lifting, lifting tide, right. Mm -hmm. That is Mm -hmm. going to raise my boat too. So I think, Mm -hmm. um, it, from a developer standpoint, you see that that like community, for lack of a better word, only helps you from a marketing perspective. And you mm-hmm. get the buyer at a part of their journey where it's much easier to close the sale, right? You're not educating. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have as many touch points as you do with, um, you know, let's say selling email marketing, for example, or something a little more abstract, right? Where it's like, hey, I need to educate you on this problem being something you need to solve in the first place. And I need to educate you on why what I'm doing is going to be better for you to solve it than what other people might be doing. Yeah. Um, so you kind of get a little bit, I think, of a leg up and your marketing just ends up taking different shape when you're part of an existing ecosystem. Got it. So so let me just ask, does all this apply only for official, like a, like there's the WooCommerce.com store and there's, you know, if you're a uh, Ninja Forms, there's the Ninja Form extension, like every every little every little um, platform has their own little market marketplace. I don't know if that's the right word. Or does this also apply if, if let's say you make a a, an, a plugin that extends another WordPress plugin and you just put it on WordPress.org and there's a pro version that people can also buy? Like, does this only make sense if it's if you're on the official marketplace, or still does it make sense if you're on the open market and you're selling it yourself through your own website? Yeah, well, I think it's helpful to look at that in terms of two examples, right? So let's stay in just Woo for a second. There's the WooCommerce.com marketplace. And that's where a ton of developers wanted to market their products and be in there, assuming that like people will go to that as the source of truth and then purchase from there. And it was a fan, it's a fantastic business and way to make money because that does hold true. But if that were the only place people look for solutions, then companies like Yith would have never gone anywhere, you know, and then being acquired is clear validation that when you have the ecosystem, you can ride that wave even outside of those channels, right? Otherwise that company wouldn't have been worth anything, but the fact that they were successful and acquired by, um, you know, Bluehost or uh, kind of kind of shows you that that's feasible and possible, right? I'd say the mm-hmm. broader WordPress ecosystem, when you talk about like, well, what if I just make some plugin on .org and have a pro version? Yeah. Um, I think it depends on whether you're talking about being in a Woo ecosystem or, or like you want to create your own bookings plugin or something, mm-hmm. right? And appointment scheduling. Um, then I think it, it's, to put it concretely, I think it's a little bit harder to ride the WordPress wave as an ecosystem than something a little more niche just yeah. because of how big WordPress has gotten. Yeah. 
Got it. So let me let me ask this question a different way. How did Skyverge think about this? Because correct me if I'm wrong, I assume that Skyverge, if I remember correctly, was exclusive for almost all of your plugins through WooCommerce.com. Did was there any reluctancy or hesitancy? Was there anything to cons- what did you guys think about when making that decision? Yeah, a marketplace is a huge shortcut <laughs> for marketing, right? And we actually did have some plugins that we sold direct to consumers on Skyverge.com that we moved to the marketplace. And in doing that early on, we saw a significant change in the amount of sales that we produced from those plugins. And so we moved everything at that point onto WooCommerce.com just because uh, their ability to generate traffic and eyeballs, and especially the curated and small size of the ecosystem, um, just led to much more highly qualified traffic and sales than we Mm -hmm. could produce on our own at that point. So early on, we decided, hey, let's, let's double down on the marketplace exclusively even though we know that we're giving up certain customer touch points here that are important to us, the revenue was worth it. Yeah. Long term, you know, would I make the same decision again? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the customer relationship aspect of it is sometimes challenging when you don't own yeah. that relationship fully. Um, yes. But at that point, it, it allowed us to grow a lot faster than we would have otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if we have time, we'll come back to the customer relationship because <laughs> I think that's a, a key thing for your business health long term. But, but let me just... I think my one concern is, and maybe other people's concerns is, then you are at the behest of the marketplace. So is there ever any word, like, was was that also a factor of like, at any point, so here, here's what I'm thinking of, you know, way back in- uh, Like Amazon like, doing Amazon basics versions of what you do. Yes. Or they're just like, yeah, we want to do this now. We're kicking you off. Like, is there any yeah. concern about that? Yeah, I think there was for sure. Especially as we, um, especially early on in the process, Right. Um, over time, that was assuaged for us in a few ways. One was we felt like you have to build your own brand because brand mm-hmm. is going to be the um, the backstop against that. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so if you did get kicked off, you're not going to recuperate 100 percent of those sales, but you will recoup. Um, you will recoup some part of it and you you will have like some agency there because of having a strong brand position in the space. Um but then over time, it was also uh, just the scope of what we did became bigger. And so it would have been really hard for someone else to absorb that and, right. to, and to build the products to the same scale we had. So I'd say there are existential threats in marketplaces like Amazon or, or any kind of private label brands doing what you do matters. Um, but I would say then, you know, your brand is, is a way you can counteract that and, mm-hmm. and build some security for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Branding long-term always seems like long-term branding always seems like something that's worth investing in. It always feels not good to invest in branding short-term, right? Yeah. Yeah, And yes, it's nebulous what, what value you get out of it. But if you ever do get kicked out of a marketplace or, or the the marketplace, the world changes, the brand is something you can fall back on if you need to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, when I go to Amazon to buy something, if I'm looking for a specific brand, I'm not going to buy the Amazon basics version. Mm. Right. And so I think uh, we didn't value our own brand early on as much as we could have, but then obviously over time, try to do a lot more content marketing, WordCamp sponsorships, like a lot of things to build that ourselves. Yeah. And I guess that's another advantage of the marketplace is you don't need to worry about brand immediately. I think with most businesses, you do kind of need to worry about brand from the get-go. But if you're on a marketplace, I think brand might come six months, 12 months down the line when you think about have a little bit more time to think about it. So that's you can just just develop extensions for a short period of time, 
get 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 really good output and then figure out branding stuff later. That's yeah, it's a it's an excellent shortcut, but there are yeah. trade offs to it, like anything, right? Where like you get a more immediate influx of revenue due to the like eyeballs and purchasing journey being you know a large in large part solved for you, yeah. and you can more rapidly improve products with that uh, influx of customer feedback. Yes. Um, and so I think there's definitely benefits to it, but yeah, you risk things in terms of customer relationship and needing to build brand just as intentionally as you would if you sold direct versus in a marketplace. And these are things that are, you know, they apply to e-commerce sellers, they apply to software developers, yeah. they apply like across the board. Yeah. So, so this is a good, another good segue here. So I, I think building any business always comes with risks and pitfalls. What were some of those risks and challenges that you faced with Skyverge and maybe also the WooCommerce marketplace, but Skyverge in the WooCommerce marketplace. Yeah, I think the marketplace selling is certainly a risk, right? So we've kind of touched on that a little bit already. Uh, I think the risks to us were that we were tied to the success or failure of WooCommerce, which is why we mm-hmm. felt like we should invest in the platform itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think early on, we also felt like lack of diversification of our revenue would be a risk, which is why we got gotten into Shopify kind of like Mm -hmm. placing multiple bets. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I, again, would have done that the same way today Mm. as I did at that point. I think Mm -hmm. like a cross platform strategy can be really great because it encourages you to make your product a platform in and of itself. Mm. Right. So that you can integrate with multiple different platforms It encourages you to separate out things from WordPress. Um, that you would inherently store there and use like WordPress's core data models for. But um, I think that's really hard to do well and still respect that interoperability that people come to the platform for. So there's, there's, you know, we could call that a tech risk, Mm -hmm. right. In, in, uh, in our early days that we weren't really always sure how to handle the marketing risk and brand risk of, of just selling in the marketplace were big ones. Um, and I think the the one risk we did handle really well was that risk of like how fast the technology moves and can you keep up with it? And I'd say that yeah. that was one where we felt like that was really easy to control. So we invested a lot in like keeping up with WooCommerce, keeping up with WordPress, contributing to and shaping those. So can I ask, how do you, okay, so how do you manage that risk? Is it, so my brain is always, I want to hire a specific person who just does all of our updates. Does that work? Or is it, you know, do you divvy that, that responsibility out among the team? And, and also I, I, at what point did you start hiring other, I know you hired other developers at some point, at what point did you start hiring other developers to help you with maybe QA testing and, and updates and all this technological stuff? Yeah, I think early on, we were more functionally oriented than a lot of small companies would have been. So a lot of times with a portfolio of products that we had, you might say you're responsible for this plugin, you're responsible for this plugin. Uh, I think to both Justin and, and Max's credit, but probably more, more so Justin, you know, he came at it from a very classical mindset of there's a lot of things between plugins that we're going to do very similarly. Mm. So let's pull this back into a framework that we can use and apply to all these plugins and reduce our maintenance burden. So we had people who worked on that plugin framework as our foundation, which Justin did. And then he passed to Chase, who still works with us. Um, and like, okay, you handle all the base layer stuff that's common, like, you know, activation and lifecycle routines and that kind of stuff that every plugin is going to need to do. And then the team worked on all the plugin functionality on top of those things. And it, so it wasn't one developer is responsible for new features and one's responsible for fixes or this or that. 
Um, we would kind of rotate between things, make sure that every developer on the team had a lot of proficiency and a lot of context between different products. And the reason for that was that we felt like it gave them that sense of, of how to even better abstract things and how to see mm-hmm. the commonalities between those different projects. So I think one thing early on was we did have a really strong engineering culture in trying to develop well-rounded full stack engineers and it allowed us to move more quickly as a result. Um, mm-hmm. Over time, then you have to, you know, doing that in, in terms of then being able to do it more as a team and to accelerate progress and have like four people work on something instead of one thing was a new challenge over time. But I think that engineering rigor was something that we focused on very early and benefited us a lot. Yeah. But uh, it's interesting in the WordPress space, I, I kind of think engineering rigor is a little bit lower than in some other software fields. Um there's a lot of cowboy coding and there's a lot of, of just, you're just, you know, copying and pasting stuff from Stack Overflow, probably chat GPT now. Um, <laughs> but I, I definitely remember a lot. I definitely remember seeing the Skyverge, like a plugin framework. I can't remember what it, exactly, but it was the Skyverge plugin framework. And it was just, everything was clearly organized. And while I'm sure that took some organization time, I'm sure it definitely sped things up on the WooCommerce side of things each plugin was totally different. And so it meant, you know, this plugin updates this way and you have to, you have to read the code to figure it out. Whereas it sounds like that work up ahead of time for Skyverge was, it definitely paid dividends over the long term. Oh my God. Yeah. So much. It was something that we used to really handle the WooCommerce compatibility more easily Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. all of these plugins doing everything in a shared way we could then put that compatibility stuff into the framework. And then you had minimal updates across those 50, 60 plugins yes. as a result. Um, and it made development of new stuff a lot faster when we did have things to jump on. Like we kind of made payment gateways a bit of a niche for us. Yep. And I think our team record was uh, 12 hours of engineering start to finish to launch a payment integration on top what? of that. Yeah. And so now, mind you, again, that's that's like Max writing the code for it. So it's one of your you know principal engineers basically, but... Uh, just doing that level of abstraction around your work, I would say, you know, my takeaway from that as another developer would be to invest in like your tooling and your abstraction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I would say if you don't get that rigor from the WordPress space, even though it's gotten a lot better, you know, dip into Laravel. That's a yeah. great way to, to start to expand your horizons a bit. Yeah. Is, I guess, so let me ask you this, you know, we have a lot of um, uh, WordPress product people, software engineering people who listen to this, do at what point do you invest in that? Because for me, it it feels super risky to invest in that, especially with product number one. You just have no idea if it's going to work or not. Like, is it by the time you get to you know plugin number five, plugin ten, plugin eighty? You know, at what point do you start investing in that tech infrastructure? It depends on what level you're investing at, <clears throat> but I would say even with plugin one, you know, understanding how your software might evolve and just structuring it in a supportable and maintainable way for the long term is really helpful. A lot of people write something that scratches their own itch and uh, don't think about where that would go in the future or the supportability of the changes they made. Like, oh, I'll just add a setting for this. It's going to be really hard to take that away. (laughs) If you ever want to take it away, it's going to be very problematic. So I I would say always make those investments in just Mm. trying to dreamline, like, where is this software going to go? What are some things I can do now that might facilitate that in the future? Um, but then in terms of abstraction and sharing tooling, yeah, definitely not not useful with one plugin. But if you want to build a lot of add-ons, which is usually the strategy if you are building mm-hmm. extensions or add-ons, um, once you get to three, four, start thinking about that. Yeah. 
I will say my first my first version of any plugin is super rough, and <laughs> I I will you I, I do remember some of them. It's like, well, let's see if it sells. It sells five, ten copies. Like, okay, now I actually need to make this code readable, legible, yeah. <laughs> understandable to me a year from now, so I can update it. But that's a great way to do it, right? You shouldn't, you know, I, I'm very much a proponent of like move fast and then iterate because mm-hmm. your speed of execution as a small engineering team is your superpower, right? Yeah. Your ability to have, you know, I, I love, forgive me, all of you non-US people, but to use a baseball metaphor, right? More at bats, you're going to get more hits. Hmm. And so if you can't, if you can't have enough, you know, bites at the apple, enough swings, you know, you're just not going to be successful. So your ability yeah. to like throw out a crappy product at first is great. But then you yeah. need to know how to turn that into a really good, sustainable, long-term product too. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Agreed. So, were there any other key moments or decisions that helped Skyverge grow? Any other key decisions that 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 helped Skyverge eventually get acquired? Oh yeah, I think there's there's a few things that we did a little bit differently than a lot of companies. So one was that investment in our our shared infrastructure that allowed us to move a lot faster and to scale a portfolio in a maintainable way. I think mean, that was kind of an, a really important decision early on. Like WooCommerce themselves, for example, I don't think could maintain 50 extensions with the, the relative ease that we did, right? Just because we had we had intentionally made those decisions very early on. And then also made it very easy to framework a plugin and bring it into our ecosystem and investing in that. Um, we did also invest a lot in getting outside of the WooCommerce sphere and, and learning from other ecosystems. Like we worked with Shopify really extensively and, and tried to see what we could bring into WooCommerce or we could bring from Woo to that. Um, launching uh, Jilt, which was our email marketing app, I think was also really key to our success and the acquisition. And I think would have led to much, you know, much more improvement even long-term had we continued to operate the business independently. Mm. Um, I will say that while selling in a marketplace and building on top of an existing platform is great, the shortcuts that you can take by doing that uh, could, could hamper you in terms of wanting to run a much bigger business someday. So hmm. what we learned from building Jilt in terms of uh, how we went to market with a product outside of a marketplace and how we just nurtured customer lifecycle and how we built that as a platform in and of itself uh, were really important lessons. And so hmm. You know, one thing that you have to be mindful of is if you want to run a lifestyle business by yourself, like, yeah, build on top of another platform. That's that's great. You're going to have an awesome time doing that. And you're going to have a, a really fantastic lifestyle, like lifestyle business. But we wanted to do something much bigger. And, and we also needed to kind of break out of that a little bit. And, um, you know, running a SaaS app at that scale was full of learnings that we would have never gotten any other way. I would have picked an easier segment than email marketing if I were doing it again. But uh-huh. Uh, yeah, we learned so much. Yeah, email marketing. Seem, well, yeah, that 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 niche seems super um, advanced. There's a lot of competitors in that space. There's um, well-funded uh, competitors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and well-funded, absolutely. Um, remind me what what happened with Jilt. I feel like did that did that project? Where did that project go? I, I remember seeing it around yeah. a long time ago. Yeah, once once we were acquired, um, we knew we wanted to bring a lot of the stuff Jilt did into what we did inside of GoDaddy and to power other parts of the GoDaddy ecosystem. Um, and when we were doing that, we knew that given uh, its revenue, like it could be profitable if we had paired back the team on it. We had been actively investing and trying to grow it really mm-hmm. quickly. Um, but given what we would invest in that versus what we were going to basically use for parts to, to yeah. kickstart other projects inside of GoDaddy, 
we felt like we weren't doing right by customers by not investing in it in the long term. Cool. And so we decided to sunset it as a result and used a lot of the IP in other areas. Got it. Love it. Uh, it it's, it's, that's actually good to know because I think, I think some people at, at a very simplistic level say Jilt existed and no longer exists. It's a failure. That's a very simple look at, way of looking at it. And I love that you can use the parts for something bigger. And, right, and this, you know, there's a difference between this can make $100,000 a year and pay for one person's salary or how can you use the parts of this to make something that makes a million dollars a year and support a team? Yeah, that and when the real the reality is when you join a much bigger company, right, the the financials change. Mm-hmm. And so what made really great sense as a small company um isn't going to be a force multiplier for good at his bottom line. Yep. Right. So when once we knew that we weren't going to develop it at the same pace we had, we felt like we weren't going to do right by customers. And at that point, yep. you know, you make the very difficult and painful decision. Hey, if we are going to not as actively invest in this then let's give people a reasonable amount of time. I think it was over a year Mm -hmm. um, to keep using the product, but then say, hey, look, you need to be on something that's going to be actively maintained and developed to grow your business. I feel like that's an under uh, under, uh, represented skill is knowing when to quit things. And I mean that in a good way. Seth Godin talks about this in his book, The Dip, of like, hey, look, this is just not going to get us where we need to go. And we're going to have to shut and give people lead time, give people advance notice. But rather than saying, well, let's just ride this till it like bottoms, like let's just keep the servers running and, yeah. and keep and keep um, trying to take, I don't want to say take advantage of it, but but still trying to get a little bit of money from it. Just shut it down because it lets your focus go in other places. That seems that seems to be an, a, a secret skill of Skyverge. I guess that's a, f- a fair point is that we maybe took it for granted, but that ability to focus uh, was kind of encoded in our DNA, Mm. right? We always, uh, I think as a company operationally did a very good job of aligning the team around like, here's the target we're going after right now. Here's the annual objective. Here's the quarterly objectives that are going to feed this. And here's how every single one of you is going to contribute to that. And like, now let's all just go run toward it in parallel. Um, Was I think a reason that our team was able to accomplish a lot with a relatively small number of people. Uh, And so that focus, uh, I don't think it necessarily registered on a conscious level for us the same way, mm-hmm. but we knew that that was kind of something that was just always sort of just encoded in how you work. Yep. Love it. So, okay. So I've got two questions left here. Um, so the WooCommerce marketplace has changed a lot. Is there anything that we haven't covered yet? And were there any changes to the WooCommerce marketplace that we haven't talked about and how that may have affected Skyverge and, and your decision-making? Oh yeah. I think the uh, breakdown of the exclusivity requirements is huge for developers. So I'd say that now that you can sell in that marketplace and others, mm-hmm. it it drastically de-risks some of those brand and customer relationship things that I was talking about, right? Because the one challenging thing in a marketplace is if you don't have that ability to nurture the customer relationship with your product and like get onboarding feedback and understand where pain mm-hmm. points are and like just get that feedback loop that helps you build good products. It's really, really difficult to keep doing that over time and you become very reactive to support mm-hmm. people who are unhappy but not always understanding the people who are happy and how they're using your product. Yes. So I'd say that that change is huge. And I think if I were a developer today, I would, I would try to take advantage of it, even if I don't get a lot of direct sales, just because yep. building that marketing muscle and yep. customer acquisition is going to be important to, for, to your long-term success. Um, the other thing I would say is uh, it would be harder to stand out now as a result of a lot more people mm-hmm. selling in that marketplace. And so probably applies if you're in Code Canyon or a different marketplace too, 
Um, that's where I would say brand and interoperability can be a big leg up there. And fostering that is, is a really important way to stand out in the marketplace. Love it. Is there, so for any developers who are listening to this, any engineers, do you have any advice that you'd like to give them on thing, <laughs> what to consider before starting a business built on another plugin? The biggest things would be understand the tech risks of doing so, which I think we've covered pretty well, right? You're going to have more dependencies. You're going to be making commitments to working with other parts of an ecosystem because you're all building on the same thing, more so than WordPress, just because of how diffuse WordPress in general is, right? But once you niche down into WooCommerce or LMS plugins or something else, there's that level of a level of interoperability that's going to be an implicit assumption from your customers. Um, but yeah, knowing, knowing that risk is a big thing. And then understanding that you contributing to that ecosystem is, is going to be important to your success, just as you can contributing to your own products and growing them will be. And I think it's something that's, that's maybe a non-obvious takeaway is that you can contribute to growing the ecosystem and have a much bigger impact on your bottom line, even though it doesn't feel as direct. Got it. I like it. Well, Becca, that takes us to the end. So thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. It was uh, it was fun to catch up, and uh, especially Patrick, our, our long history in the Woo space is always fun to kind of pull into some some you know very old conversations back to the forefront. Absolutely, and thanks to all of you listeners for joining us on the Plugin.fm podcast, where we sit down with inspirational makers who share their unique stories and actionable tips and strategies to help you launch and grow your software product business. If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe to turn the YouTube algorithm in our favor so that we can keep making awesome content for you. I love doing this stuff. If you're on Plugin, if you're on the Plugin.fm website, go ahead and smash the subscribe button to get early bird access to future content, or amplify the episode on social media so we can help entrepreneurs like you in their journeys too. Plugin.fm is brought to you by Freemius, your all-in-one e-commerce partner for selling software, plugins, themes, and software as a service. If you're struggling to grow your plugin revenue, send a note to contact at freemius.com to get advice from Freemius's content monetization, or excuse me, monetization experts. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a great day. Bye-bye.